0: what is up fine people of the king-pilled world welcome to another live stream if you're listening to this on youtube or twitter or facebook as we are streaming live i am matt the green man is cooper and i do believe that we have another banger for you guys today do you agree cooper yeah i i had like
1: I ate like four of these nicotine mints and have had two (laughs) cups of coffee since being home like an hour ago. And I'm like sweating profusely right now. (laughs) So I'm
0: amped. I'm ready. You're set up for success. That's right. Speaking of uh, nicotine, I got distracted during the, uh, the intro song. It's so good. I was just distracted and I forgot to uh, get my nicotine game on. So I'm going to do that right now.
1: You're not firing on all cylinders. No, man. You're not I'm...
0: providing the best bang for buck for our loyal listeners. That's right. I'm having to talk, tell them about putting a Zen in. I'm firing on too many cylinders. That's the problem. Mm. What's yeah, going on, guys? Chews. Blue chews. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. It was a blue chew. Because um, I want to have a boner while I'm talking to Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> that already happens. That's true. That's true. I don't even need the blue chews. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, if this is the first time you guys are watching this, uh, little housekeeping, just, you can, you can follow us on, uh, YouTube, uh, Twitter and Facebook is where we stream live. Just look up King Pilled, uh, the page on, on Facebook. Uh, and then, and you can follow me on Twitter at real King Pilled. That's where we, where we stream this out. And then obviously here on YouTube, if you're watching us live on YouTube right now, we've got 12 viewers and five likes. So you guys are off to a bad start. You gotta, you gotta hit that like button for us. See, see, we're the ones we're putting in all the work here. And then you guys just sit there and listen. So you guys got to do your part. Consumers. Yes. Yeah. We, uh, we, we want a mediocre audience and you, we need you guys to do your mediocre job. Um, that's a reference that will make a little more sense by the time we get to the end of the show today, because, uh, Cooper here is going to make the case, um, or he's actually going to cite someone else making the case for mediocrity. And I, um, I almost was thinking about titling this episode, something trying to make a play on like, like using like mediocrity to produce greatness. Um, but again, this is, this is, that's a reference. that will make more sense, uh, later on down the line here. So, um, so yeah, subscribe, follow, like the stream, share the stream, all that sort of stuff. Today, uh, we called the show ethical piracy plundering Globocorp," And we want to give you guys, we've often talked a lot of theory, a lot of philosophy, <sighs> been a little more abstract in a lot of the things we've discussed, but today we want to actually, uh, a combination of casting a actual tangible positive vision and also giving you guys some actual things that you could do. If you're like, one of these people who praxis, Yes. Praxis. Whoa. If you're one of these people who's, who's just kind of like, okay, this all sounds great and everything, but I've got my, you know, I've got my dead end job. I'm doing whatever, you know, I, I, Maybe I'm in college and I'm trying to get my degree and I just don't really know what I'm going to do with it. And I don't want to do a nine to five the rest of my life. And, and I, I buy into this idea of like, okay, we need to build a civilization. We need to start cooperating together. There's lots of, there's tons of opportunity out there. You know, social media dramatically expands the capacity of, of what we can do in terms of organizing socially. Like you you might buy into all those things, but you're like, okay, well, what do I do though? Like this stuff all sounds great, but what do I do? I mean, you could join the King Pilt supporting listeners group, but we give you other stuff in there. Um, and uh, you can be a part of some of the projects that we're building. Uh, SubscribeStar.com/slash/KingPilled will get you in there right now. And that's one thing you can do. But I understand that it's kind of like it's like we're gonna get you all amped up with this these great ideas, and then you know what's the call to action? Well will go join our, our 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 group and give us money. You know, yep, there's kind it. of a it, it kind of it 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 strikes the cynical um, bone for a lot of people, and I understand that because I experience the same thing when I'm listening to other people on their various shows and whatnot. Okay. For the record, I am, i don't know about Matthew, but I am
1: explicitly here to grift. So, mm-hmm. yes,
0: yes, that's the only—that that was the sales pitch to, to Cooper. Like when I was like, "Hey, Cooper, I want you to be the co-host." I was like, uh, "This will give you an opportunity to hone your grifting chops. You can just practice on on a, a YouTube stream nobody cares about, and then uh, become the greatest <laughs> grifter of all time." So, so he's using me, a, and he's using you guys, the grift master, as they say. Josiah says, don't forget to check your earbuds for earwax, not volume. Uh, you know, I, I don't guess. even give a fuck, man. I use a Q-tip every single day. You do? I know you're not supposed to. I do. Oh, I, the, the feeling of a Q-tip in my ear just is like, it's like chewing on aluminum foil. The feeling of water in my ear after I've showered is even worse than the
1: feeling of a Q-tip.
0: Well, why are you getting water in your ears? Do you just have like oddly shaped ears or something that collect water? Maybe. Your um, ears are like shaped like a funnel that it's like funneling water. <laughs> you mean down. you're not
1: supposed to put your, your ear right
0: <laughs> up to the shower
1: head? <laughs> the little yeah, one ear the no other.
0: There's little gnomes in there. They're like, oh, there's th- some gnomes in here that are, are telling me a message. Ah! Well, I got to get them out. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a little boy, my dad told you me. You don't have there was, schizophrenia. A... There's gnomes in your ears. Just wash <laughs> yeah. them out. My dad told me that I had a little imaginary friend named Philbert, who was a little guy who lived in my ear. And there was a period of time where I remember actually kind of believing him that, you know, yeah, there's like a little guy <laughs> who lives in my ear. This is when I was like, I don't know, two, maybe two or three. Um, he, he 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 did that bit for a long time. Um, what were we talking about? Philbert? Uh, before that. Uh Mediocrity. Oh, we were talking about you with uh, your ears and getting and grifting. Yeah. And grifting. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So today I want to give you guys, uh, some, I've got a few things that I put together that I think are relevant to you. And then Cooper has some stuff he's put together that may actually be even more relevant to you. Um, first of all, though, I wanted Maybe. to share this, this tweet of mine that, uh, I just, I was sitting, I was out walking the dog couple nights ago, and I had some thoughts on my head. So I just started, I just like, I right, you know what? I'm just going to start typing out a tweet. And it was one of the things I wanted to do. Like, I'm trying to figure out how the, the to, to, to work Twitter as the platform rules kind of change, the algorithm gets updated, and they're introducing new functionality. And so I'm curious to see how these things play out. And one of the things that uh, that I've heard, now that you can, you can do up to, I don't know, like 4,000 character tweets or something like that, um, I've heard... I've heard that the algorithm favors longer tweets. So this would be very different from how Twitter Which is weird because I never read long tweets. Well, and so that's that's my question. Cuz like ostensibly the justification for this is like like Facebook or YouTube like they want to keep your eyeballs on the platform so they're going to reward videos that have a longer average watch time. They're going to reward posts that people spend more time on, that they hover over more like these sorts of things. But a longer tweet is not necessarily going to pull people, hold people on the platform longer. Cause if people don't want to read long tweets and they start seeing long tweets, then they're going to actually be pushed away from the platform. So I'm curious to see like human behavior, how this sort of thing plays out. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to write a fricking long ass tweet and, and get into a particular thing. It was kind of, uh, going off of thoughts from our last episode. We were talking about this James O'Keefe video and, um, and i think this sets up the rest of what we want to talk about today here so and i'm also just very proud of this tweet cuz it's easily the most like successful tweet that i've ever had in my life um, really and it was long. oh yeah and it was long yeah it was probably the, i huh. almost i almost maxed out the 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 new twitter like 4000 character um limit and uh um, Interesting. and it's it's up to almost almost 90,000 views now i'm um, so clearly it, it it's it uh, Oh that's not that long. I thought this was like I thought
1: you were talking like a Bill Ackman, you know, dissertation.
0: Yeah, I guess I don't know if he has maybe if maybe you pay higher a higher subscription thing for Twitter and you get even more characters because his shit... I mean it's probably been like ten thousand characters. Oh more but, than that. Uh, <laughs> mm hmm. Anyways. So this is this is what I tweeted. and I think this sets up the rest of the conversation well. So I said this video, being the one of we talked about last time of James O'Keefe with his uh, on his gay date, where he's in his special Clark Kent costume, where he puts the glasses on and all of a sudden you can't recognize him, and, and a sweater uh, vest, and a sweater vest, yeah. Um, and he's on this date with this guy and he's just talking about all this the the inside baseball about the administration. So I said. This video is actually a big deal, if not for the reasons that James O'Keefe seems to think. He's showing you what your enemies look like. Affluent, soft, weak, shallow, retarded, incompetent, effeminate, and most importantly, they completely believe their own bullshit. These are not scheming Machiavellians. It's funny that they're both affluent and retarded. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, well, then this, this kind of ties into where we're, where, we're, where we're taking this today, where it's, it's starting to tell you something about the way the existing system works and the types of people that are making that are, are successful in it, which can kind of give you a greater understanding of the, um, the layout of the territory around you so you can navigate on that territory better. So I said, these are not scheming Machiavellians. They're a collection of naive and sufferable theater kids allied to a bunch of indignant, obnoxious, careerist female principal types. Leading a pack of token minority pets and dopily following the lead of a boomer country club of stuffy Zionist eggheads who specialize in getting other people to fight for them while strategically retreating. It's taken a long time for people to cotton onto their bullshit because their coordination operates at an almost entirely subconscious level. They've all been carefully cultivated in the soil of academia where they all spent years mastering how to think and act like each other. The academy is like a boot camp for managerialists. By definition, those who excelled the most in academic settings are the ones occupying the seats of the of the quote-unquote civil service after having their own personalities expunged from them. They cannot even comprehend a reality outside of their narrowly preserved frame. They can't even begin to think like us. This is a tremendous advantage. This is the crown lying in the gutter. One thing that you Reminds United, me of
1: a uh, discussion we had with uh, Mr. Frogman. Uh-huh. Like, I made the observation when listening to his show with Dimes that, man, if some shitlib were to listen to this, they would have literally no idea what was going on. Right. Like, the words, they understand the words in the sense that, like, they speak English and you're speaking English, but they don't comport to any sort of referent in their mind. So you're basically,
0: functionally, you're speaking a different language. Yes. And the way that they'll interpret that then is they don't understand it. So they, they'll, they'll be like, these people are retarded. Like these people are primitive. Yeah, right. They're they'll stupid. They, yep, yep. Yeah. So it's like they're, this is, this is peak midwit yeah. uh, oh, yeah. behavior. And I think midwit is probably not something restricted to a particular IQ. Like the concept of midwit can even apply and maybe even more often applies to really high IQ people. In fact, I become a bit of a midwit when I read Nick land,
1: for example. Uh huh. Yeah, and you're I'm like I don't you're... know what any of this means. It must be stupid. <laughs> that's true. That's not true, me. Yeah. I'm not stupid. It's
0: stupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. So continuing with this here, um, the uh, the one thing that unites them is their distaste for violence. God, I'm sweating. They're just common sense, rational people, after all. Physical brutality is extremely upsetting to them. It's declassé classe and primitive and icky. The only way they stomach it is by keeping it far removed from them, from their perspective. This makes them each live, in some sense, like a high-strung, fearful, skulking creature. Like a fox. Because that's what they are. Yet at the same time, they have no sense of impending doom. They don't actually feel potential dread. They lead such insulated lives that they have to ape feelings of dread about Trump to convince themselves they're not actually two weeks away from mass famine and cannibalism were the right events to kick off. To them, the worst thing they can fathom on a social level, literally, is that they might be politically inconvenienced. Look at how they spend their lives. Movies, parties, concerts, vacations, conferences. A crisis is when a flight gets delayed or when they see something on TV that makes them cranky. These are soft people. They aren't remotely equipped to navigate a wartime world. But here's the kicker. They're the best the regime has to offer and their stock is getting worse all the time. This is with like the the people getting dumber and dumber, the competency crisis, future generations. Like, like if you look at the... The, some guy replied to this and he said, This isn't the Dulles Brothers government. The the, the, like the, the quality of men who set up this governmental system in the 40s, 50s, well, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, these were even the evil, uh, retarded ones were genuinely like uh, they would be exceptional quality compared to the people that are running these institutions now.
1: It's the Dulles All government now.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, so they're getting worse and worse. If you think about even the, even the most, like the, the ones that might be the quote closest to like a scheming Machiavellian, like, uh, uh, um, uh, neocon Zionist, like sort of, uh, one of these old eggheads, these guys are going to be dead in 20 years, maybe less you're getting. And the new generations that are coming up behind them are significantly, they're just as mendacious And just as, or even more out of touch with reality, but they're far more incompetent in part because they are out of touch with reality. When you're, when you're out of touch with reality, like you start, well, part of the way that these foxes govern is they, they can't use direct force. They can't, they, they govern with, with soft power, not with hard power. So what that means is when a situation arises where direct force has to be used, they have to outsource it. And this might be outsourcing to a military. It might be outsourcing to a piece of technology, It might be outsourcing to algorithms, but they do all of this stuff to put layers of protection between them and the actual confrontation, because they're not people who are equipped to win in a confrontation. Their job is to prevent the confrontation from ever even happening, which means they're constantly in a reactive posture to everything around them, trying to make sure that they're protected from these active cases of confrontation. But eventually what happens is the further and further removed from actual reality you get, the worse your decision-making becomes because you start making decisions on either bad data or outdated data because it's taken so long to get back to you that you're not, you can't make the right decision. This is part of the reason why traditionally a military chain of command is the people at the top coming up with the broad, the broad strategy and then the people at the bottom managing the specific tactics. So you're given a accomplish this task. You're not told how to do it because there's a recognition that the people at the top are not, are not in the right position to react in real time on stuff on the ground because they're not there. And if you have to run everything up the chain of the command for every single decision, then you start getting poor and slow to react. The same thing is happening within all of these different institutions. The more that they're putting between them and actual reality the more of a bubble they're creating around themselves the more incompetent and worse they are they're becoming at their jobs two-bit podcast says cyprian wasn't wrong about the dim age yeah yeah that's one thing he hasn't been wrong about the dim age it we're truly in the dim age and that's what you're seeing in this video so continue the tweet now trump brought all these archetypes into full view very apocalyptic one might say this was his value as a bull in the China shop. He forced them to reveal that they are fundamentally reactive. He put them into a reactive posture, where now they're forced to react to him. And they're trying to get out ahead of him, but he's unpredictable. And he's kind of charted a pathway for other people to follow, where they're beginning to function similarly. You can see this with someone like Elon. He's he's getting very Trumpian in a lot of things he does. We're going to talk about Elon more here in just a minute. As another example of the incompetence of this this class. So because they're reactive, they can be engaged, they can be baited, they can be outmaneuvered, and they can be outcompeted. They're an extremely poor governing class and they're rapidly getting worse and worse. Ultimately, when faced with true hardship, they will quickly crumble. They'll concede and acquiesce to anyone who promises them relief and the ability to freely pursue their peccadilloes. Whomever keeps Netflix on, so to speak. They took over the institutions because no one was guarding them. We just have to take them back. Can you be cleverer than a retard? If so, then you have no reason to be black pilled. If not, well, as you were, forget everything you just read. I know you will anyway. So that kind of should lay kind of lay the, where the the groundwork for where we're coming from. that this is this is what our elite class is made of. This is the sort of substance that they're made of. And I understand that this is one guy. He's some f- like um minion, essentially. He's not like a really true high up decision maker. But he's indicative of the rest of the class, and you can stop and start running through in your mind the different people who um, occupy positions of power. Go listen to them do a long-form interview. This is part of what makes Vivek Ramaswamy so impressive: is that he can sit down and do three-hour interviews, going in depth on all kinds of different topics. And he's extremely astute and erudite, and can pull statistics up off the top of his head, and quote people by like 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 word for word. And he's very obviously extremely sharp. But if you go listen to like even a, you know, a Jamie Dimon or some like some of these this, like this class of guy who might be the genuine more Machiavellian types, listen to them talk about basically anything outside their immediate sphere of influence. And they're like retarded. Yeah, I was thinking they've got like, totally normal views of the world.
1: That room full of kids from that video. I call them kids are probably older than me dancing to fr- the Burning Man kids dancing to frickin Creed. Yeah, that's like that's the enemy class.
0: Right. Are you scared? You're scared of that? (laughs) There's, yeah, there's, there's just, if you actually encounter these people, like if you go, if you go walk around in LA or, or go to a uh, cafe, go to a cafe. Yeah. Go talk to these people. Number one, they're pack animals and they're pack animals because they're timid and fearful. When they actually encounter a right winger, I, I get a lot of experience with this because I have my separate identity that does stuff with sports, with uh, soccer and 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 baseball and football. And I'm from Seattle and LA, and those are the 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 fan groups that I'm around. These people are the shittiest of shit libs, absolute peak shit lib, and they cannot comprehend the way anybody else sees the world. Just have a ta- have a conversation with them about anything. They have got the most shallow normy view. On literally any subject, no comprehension of history, like military strategy, like philosophy. They're not thinking about the Roman Empire. No, no. They're watching uh, uh, Instagram reels about makeup, millennials, murder, and parties, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. These are not intelligent people. It was funny when when a bunch of our soccer fans came from LA out to the um uh, out to Austin for a game last fall. We went out and met up with them. So we're in Austin. If, if so if you haven't been to Texas, if you're from a coastal city, like there's a there's definitely a different culture in Texas. You can feel it, you can sense it Im- immediately. But if you're if you go to Austin, there's a very distinct difference between the rest of Texas and Austin. Austin really stands out as being, you can tell it's being, being um, taken over by Californians. Like that's, you could very much feel that. So these people, we go out, we meet up with them before the game, we're getting some drinks and stuff, and just talking with them, and then being part of their, uh, part of the little uh, Discord servers and stuff, and hearing them talk about their trip. They talk about coming to Texas, like I would talk about going to North Korea. That it's like this foreign, bizarre land where people have these really weird cultures, and they like you, 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 run into them in a parking lot, and <laughs> that's like they Austin say hi to you. To yes, that's how Austin feels to them. Wow. These are not, like, the fact that these people are NPCs that they're just empty suits. Should be a white pill to you. It means I wonder just how follow they would whatever feel like is fashionable
1: going to freaking like Saranac, Michigan, or something. Just like a town that's it's literally like a post office, three houses, and like a gas station. That's
0: the town. Mm-hmm. They would be, I can tell you, they would be genuinely terrified. Yeah, Trump. Like if they everywhere. were by themselves. Yeah. If they were like walking by themselves, it would they would have the same, um, uh like like posture or state of mind. It's like walk- as through A woman walking across a dark parking lot at night to her car. In like the ghetto. Uh-huh. These so these are just extremely soft, unimpressive people. They're they're perfectly nice. They're great. You can have a conversation with them. It, as long as it doesn't get into politics, like, you know, they're fine. They're they're great. Politics comes up and they're just just like And they see themselves, this is the thing. They see themselves as the underclass. They see themselves as the, 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 um, the, like, not, I don't wanna say victim, but they see themselves as the minority going against the powerful majority. What's
1: freaking hilarious about that is they both see themselves as like the underdog and also as like the sophisticated. Yes. Yeah.
0: So they see themselves as high class sophisticated people who are being um who live as a minority in their society that's that's dominated and overrun by the unwashed primitive rednecks. Yeah. 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 So that, and this is like to any of us here, anyone listening to this, it should be transparent to you. I can't imagine you finally you coming across this show and listening to the show if it wasn't obvious to you how delusional this is. So this is like if I was to describe this reality to them, they would think I was, I'd lost my mind and needed to be committed. They they would not, it, it was completely foreign. It wouldn't even be like, they wouldn't even be able to like engage with it and debate it or anything. It would be, I might as well be telling them that, that, um, that trees have legs and they get up and walk around. They just would never even, even consider it. So. Oh, we just got raided. Uh huh. Here I it comes. Miss, Mr. Jim Bob. I saw someone say that it was going to happen. <laughs> What's up, Jim Bob and Jim Bob listeners? Good, you guys. Good to have you guys here. Hopefully, we give you some uh, some quality, actionable uh, content here. Um, so, all of that being said, a, a great example of how these people are absolutely shooting themselves in the foot. Well, okay. Before I get into that, I wanted to say as I've been starting to really understand this phenomenon a lot better and um, I've been like uh, kind of pushing back against this relentless black pilling uh, these just kind of the, the, the perpetual negativity we talked about in the last episode. And as this stuff is starting to become clear to me, I've realized our big concern is not that they're going to take over the, like that Yuval Harari Is going to become god emperor of the global uh society and we're all going to get trapped in coom pods and be behind barbed wire with robots hovering over us like this is the thing that that people like in our circles seem to really uh perseverate on they really freak out on this kind of notion and I've realized that the genuine concern with these people, these people that like, there's a serious expiration date on their power, their domination, their, their ability to maintain the governmental structures just because of their sheer incompetence. There's an expiration date on it. I don't know if that expiration date is five years or 50 years or a hundred years, but either way, there's a distinct expiration date. And I'm, I'm really thinking it's, it's getting earlier and earlier because of the, the um, exponentiating effect of technology and social media and the way for people to put ideas together and start to organize, like it's accelerating these social patterns. So I think we're probably closer than not. The big concern is not these people turning into authoritarian oppressors that, that, that make us slaves. The big concern we're already becomes that they bumble us into some sort of, of, uh, uh, environmental or economic catastrophe. And I don't know whether it like, uh, <laughs> they accidentally get the, the, the uh, nuclear ship. war started or, yeah. um, or some, some sort of massive, uh, massive flooding or some, you know, some gigantic Uber storm that wipes out half the country or something like that. And all the supply chains collapse. Cause everything's like right on a razor's edge. This is part of why they can't use hard power because every time they start using hard power, their whole system starts to collapse Mm -hmm. because the system's built on such razor-thin margins. So they're being increasingly demanded to use hard power while being increasingly restricted on the extent to which they can use hard power. So the real concern would be some sort of thing that is actually a legitimate crisis, not like the manufactured ones of 2020, but a legitimate economic or environmental catastrophe that they bumble their bumble us into and they are completely helpless have no idea how to resolve it and it causes mass famine or um like uh like a complete devastation of agriculture or one of these types of things these are the legitimate concerns the fact that if we actually encountered a serious issue the adults are not running the show and there's going to be a really rough period as they collapse out of power and the adults have to step in. This sort of pattern is, is, you can see this all over the time, all over the place throughout history where you have really, it's kind of like it, what happens when you're run by a priest What by a priest class is eventually either industry and agriculture collapses and it causes mass famine and they get overthrown and someone steps in to solve all the problems or they bumble you into a war that they're not equipped to fight. They've got all their hired muscle, but the hired muscle is like, well, fuck you. We're not going to like, we're not going to let you drag us into this fight. We're going to take over. We're going to, we're going to win this fight and we're not going to let you run the show anymore because look how incompetent you are. One of these types of things is what's going to happen. So our dilemma is not how do we, how do we amass the right amount of force to overtake them and, 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 and meet them in their strength and, and, and take them down. Like that, there's no reason to try to solve that problem that way. What we need to do is we need to begin building an actual functional civilization, using whatever resources of theirs we can, and looking for these opportunities, like this Texas border thing, where they overstep their bounds, they do something incompetent and retarded, and you can take political capital from them in response to that situation. And then like tertiarily we can be looking for the places where we can nudge them in that direction. They're like it's like a blind guy who's walking around in the backyard waving around running chainsaws. Like <laughs> you don't want to run up and tackle him. It's like he's a fucking idiot. But you, and you've got to get him out of there. You don't want to run up and tackle him. So you like wait until he runs into a tree and bounces the chainsaw off his face or something. And then you then you move in. So a really good example again of these guys stepping on a rake just absolutely just nailing themselves right in the sack is what happened in delaware with elon musk this this last week so a little background here in i think does it say here the background Uh, Yeah, here. So, in 2018, Musk agreed to be Tesla's CEO or executive chairman and chief product officer for a decade. Tesla agreed to pay him 20.3 million stock options in 12 tranches that would vest as the company met more than a dozen milestones. So, this was the only compensation. He He got zero compensation except for these stock options. They were estimated to be worth about $55 billion at the time. Those jaw-dropping benchmarks included growing Tesla's market value to 650 billion dollars. at the time it was like 50 or 60 billion. That same year, shareholder Richard Tornetta, so this 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 agreement, this compensation package that he agreed to that pays him nothing unless he meets these benchmarks. and then I think he still has to like once it vests, he still has to hold on to him for for five years. So like they vest and now he has stock options worth whatever they're worth which is 55 56 billion but then he still has to he can't it's not like he can sell them and and cash them out he still has to hold on to them for five years i'm pretty sure that was one of the things i read about it so at the time the board and the shareholders overwhelmingly voted in favor of this uh compensation package and there's some really funny news clips if you go look for them you can find some really funny news clips of people on like c-span or cnbc or whatever talking about how, like, what's this guy thinking this this, he's what a clown, you know, think about what people thought about Elon Musk in 2018. He, oh, this guy's a clown. You know, he's like, he went and smoked weed on Joe Rogan's podcast. And he, uh, uh, he like tweeted that he was thinking about taking Tesla private and the stock went nuts and he, everyone freaked out. And this is what people thought of Elon Musk back then. So it's really funny going back and hearing all this and now they're and they're like $650 billion. Oh, ha 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 ha, you know, he's going to get there, he's going to he's going to go from 60 billion to 650 billion in like 5 years. Aha, oh, there's no way that's going to work. Well, Tesla actually peaked at over a trillion dollars in 2021. But at this vesting period or, or how w- however it worked, his compensation package locked in at $56 billion. And this guy, Richard Tornetta who has holds nine shares of Tesla stock. He sued Musk at the time, saying filed a lawsuit against Musk and Tesla to rescind the pay package arguing that it was excessive and that the company's board breached its fiduciary duty in approving it. in his defense in 2022 Musk dismissed claims that he had a role in putting together the largest ever corporate compensation deal. So this so this guy sued Tesla and uh, and Musk for this. And this last week, one single female judge in Delaware ruled in this guy's favor and threw out Elon's compensation package. Wow. Elon left that, uh, left the court, and immediately tweeted out, "Do not incorporate your business in Delaware." Now I don't know if you guys know, but Delaware is—they're like their economy depends upon corporations incorporating there. they're, they're, they're essentially like a tax haven. 20%, a full 20% of Delaware's revenue comes from franchise taxes. 63% of fortune 500 companies are incorporated in Delaware. And you just had the guy who was the richest man in the world, probably the most famous and influential businessman in the world publicly say, do not incorporate your companies. In Delaware (laughs) because of one female judge (laughs) because of one female judge I guarantee you you've that 63% of fortune 500 companies CEOs are now like okay when's my compensation package getting thrown out arbitrarily because one single person sued the company this is the sort of thing that gets wealthy powerful people real unhappy with the Democrat party they're already unhappy with them you can you can read it in what they're saying, what they're not saying. Having to deal with this whole Harvard scandal, all of this this constant. They're all coming out and counter signaling DEI and ESG. Ken uh, Ken Griffin, a billionaire who donated 300 million dollars to Harvard last year, said he's not giving Harvard another penny until they do away with all this DEI ESG nonsense. Now I'm not saying that that means oh yay it's all gonna go away. I'm saying a key plank of political energy for the Democrat Party is being loudly countersignaled by the people who supply all of the money. This is a very good sign that this is not just mendacity among these people. It is mendacity, but it's a very white-pilling kind of mendacity. It is profoundly incompetent mendacity. To make matters even more fun, here's the history of this judge. So this is from Kanakoa the Great on Twitter. Elon tweeted this out. Judge Kathleen McCormick rescinded Elon Musk's $55 billion Tesla compensation package, overturning the company's board and 80% (laughs) of its shareholders. (laughs) McCormick also ruled against Elon Musk during his Twitter acquisition. Before becoming the head of the Delaware Chancery Court, McCormick worked at a Delaware law law firm called Young Conaway. This firm and its employees have been major donors to President Joe Biden for decades. In 2016, Hunter Biden hosted a gubernatorial campaign event for Congressman John Carney, with then Vice President Joe Biden as the guest speaker. This event took place at the law offices of Young Conaway in Wilmington, Delaware. Carney, a close friend of Joe Biden for the last four decades, later became governor and nominated Kathleen McCormick, a partner at Young, Con- Young Conaway, to her position on the Delaware Chancery Court. In a March 2018 email, the year that this, this case was uh, uh, was filed, Hunter Biden claimed to personally know every judge on the Delaware Chancery Court while threatening legal action against his Chinese business partners, quoting, I will bring the suit in the Chancery Court in Delaware, which, as you know, is my home state, and I am privileged to have worked with and know every judge on the Chancery Court." After Elon Musk purchased Twitter with the stated goal of restoring free speech, President Biden called for a federal investigation into Musk on the podium at the White House. Following this, the Biden, DOJ, SEC, and FTC initiated legal actions and investigations against Tesla, SpaceX, and X. This recent just decision by Judge McCormick, who worked with Biden's top donors and was nominated by Biden's close friend to override Tesla's board and the majority of its shareholders, is another clear example of the Biden administration and its allies weaponizing the American legal system against their political opponents. This is the judge right here. Mm-hmm. In the, uh, the tweet that I, um, I read a little bit ago, I referred to the um, obnoxious careerist female principal types. That's mm. this woman. Yeah, She's one of them. School marm. Uh-huh. So this is... I mean... The, the, I think people get really concerned. It's probably right to be concerned, but people get really concerned when they see this level of blatant corruption. And it's easy to mistake this level of blatant corruption as... Um, evidence of just how powerful and insulated these people are. But the problem is, if you want to be corrupt, the worst way to be corrupt is to be transparently corrupt, especially when you're already in a shaky position. When there's tons of of economic and political instability, a lot of political unrest, this, this administration is trying to fight wars on like five different fronts. While they're navigating or not even navigating while they're suffering through a major competency crisis and they're, uh, and and they're, they're, they're like burning through resources, trying to solve problems and just creating more and more problems. The, the, the mendacity is the point. The incompetence is not. Mm. And the incompetence is going to be their downfall. You don't even have to force it. It's going to happen where we come into play is we can have some say in how and when that happens and what it means for us when it happens. So there was that tweet there. And so pivoting here, um, I'll bring that tweet up here later. Uh, there's a very interesting economic thing that's developing I saw this tweet a couple days ago uh, Barry Sternlick just gave a very thoughtful interview about the growing troubles in commercial real estate here's what he had to say we have a problem in real estate in every sector of real estate, not just office because of the 500 basis point increase in rates that was vertical the office market has an existential crisis right now It's a $3 trillion asset class. That's probably worth 1.8 trillion. Now there's $1.2 trillion of losses spread somewhere. And nobody knows exactly where it is. (laughs) No one knows. (laughs) There are buildings in New York that were bought for 200 million. The loan was a hundred million. And we personally thought it was worth 30 million. This is, this is like preposterous over leverage. Oh yeah. There's a building for sale right now in San Francisco. It was bought for $850 per square feet per square foot. The loan was $450 per square foot, and they'll probably sell it for 250 per square foot, 25 cents on the dollar. That would mean we lost three quarters of the total asset class. This asset class is not just owned by rich people. It's owned by pension plans and other people, small investors. And we're not just talking about towers. We're talking about the buildings that surround towns and municipalities. What happens to those cities? Hmm. And he goes on to say, this is, this is something that's relatively restricted to the to the US get ready for cheap real estate yes there's going to be a lot of real estate that's available at a discount and an interesting thing that plays in that 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 plays a role here is that I'd never even considered is the effect of remote work with remote work suddenly taking off and spiking through COVID it actually has drastically reduced the value of all this office space yep now suddenly all these 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 super necessary there was like there's no way that there's going to be a um uh, uh like that this office this 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 real estate isn't going to be uh isn't going to be uh, valuable in the future because it's offices and these companies have to run and these companies are going to have their offices and then all of a sudden remote work happens and all this stuff there's just no it's not needed anymore this is this is part of what's what's going to be driving w- what I've been calling the the concrete bull where we had the Dust Bowl in the in the Great Depression, where all of the industry moved into the cities, it pulled people out of the country, and then an economic depression, and all of the the rural areas were were destroyed. We're we're getting the inversion of that now. Now all of the wealthy people are moving out into the country, and the cities are going to shit. The immigration problem is just going to um, accentuate that. We got to come up with a better name than the concrete bowl call it whatever
1: you want well I don't have I, the I only said, reason that's why I'm saying it is people up... said they like it oh okay eh. it just feels like it could be a little punchier yeah what do you think guys marketing in the chat what, what do we call it
0: anyway so related to this we've talked before about how we have been finding a lot of inspiration from getting into like entrepreneur YouTube, entrepreneur Twitter, the guys who they don't, you will very rarely find them talking about political circumstances and political situations unless they're describing an opportunity that's being created by it. And there's something that's just really, I don't know, really empowering and energizing to surround yourself with people who see crises as opportunities. They want to take advantage of the crisis when it happens to get themselves and their people ahead. There's always going to be crises for one reason or another. If there's people manufacturing crises, all right, cool. This still means that there's crises. So you can capitalize on the crisis. And if we understand the the social dynamics at play here. If we understand the weakening position of the managerial class and the existing um, the existing state of uh, the political circumstance, the political situation. If you understand with these these patterns that we've been talking about, then our job is not to try to save the political apparatus. We need to be building. E- something that either supports it when it's better, or is just straight up competition. We have to start governing our own societies, we, our own communities, and clearly we have to do this under the auspices of an arbitrary mendacious state. Like, duh. If you're, if you're like, oh, they're, they're, you, if you start organizing, if you start acting together, then they're going to come out. Fucking, of course, obviously. <laughs> you're like saying. Uh, you know, if you're if you're uh, building a house, then you, you're going to put a roof on it, and then there's going to be a storm, and it's going to destroy your roof. Okay, so get a, get a metal roof. Or just have the money to replace your roof when it happens. Mm. That's not a reason to not build a house. You know, normally you're pretty good at analogies. That one was kind of weak, I'll say. Yeah, it just came off the top of the head. I never even thought about it. It's like... <laughs> This is the value of being surrounded by these, these entrepreneurial types is they're not, they don't waste brain power on coming up with all the reasons why something's not going to work. They just start doing something and adjust on the fly. They have a vision, they're focused on it and they derive energy from the meaning that that gives them.
1: Yeah. It's something like uh, your average entrepreneur starts like, for every one venture they have that's successful, they have like there's like twelve others that aren't.
0: Hmm. And they just keep doing it. Just keep going. Here's an example of the type of mentality that I think I think our people need to really start taking on. This is what we're This is what we're trying to inspire here. So this guy here, strip mall guy, at real estate, Trent. He said. A major bottleneck in real estate is raising capital for your first deals. In my case, I raised a total of 400 K from eight friends after calling everyone I knew when I was 26, others who've built real estate portfolios. How did you raise the money to do your first deal? I want to go through some of these replies. Cause I was scrolling through them and I was just like in awe at these people. These are, these are, are, are the most impressive people I can think of. This is genuinely remarkable stuff. Even just think about this. He had a, a a real estate venture he wanted to get into. He needed capital for it. Instead of sitting here complaining about interest rates or complaining about how the, much the cost of living has become or how hard it is for him or like, you know, he's got this job and he can't, he doesn't have time to try to work a second job and save up money and it's going to take too long. He just starts calling every single person he knows. Hey, do you want to invest in me? I'm trying to raise money to to, to start a real estate gig you want to invest in me. He raised $400,000 from eight friends. He got an average of 50 grand from each of these eight people just by calling them and asking them to invest in him because he had a vision and he's going to work toward that vision. So he, he accomplished something that most people would probably think is impossible. And you might say, oh, well, he obviously just had rich friends. Okay. So if you need If you need $400 to start, $400,000 to start your real estate gig, and you don't have rich friends, go make some fucking rich friends. Here's some other (laughs) examples. Go join the Masonic Lodge or something. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Start going to like conferences and cold calling people. But nobody wants to do that. Everyone wants to talk about how we don't have society and it's low trust. Don't do that. That was a (laughs) joke. Everyone wants to complain about how, you know, or society's just collapsing and nobody trusts anyone. And, and, you know, we don't, we don't have, we don't live in a society anymore. And, but you don't, you, you, you won't go like cold call someone and ask them to invest in your project. This guy says our first deal was an 11 unit and we raised 69, nice $69,000 from a close friend who emptied his 401k. He took a risk on us. They got a dude to fricking empty his 401k for them. 10 years later, we've raised $80 million in private capital. That first investor has since made millions. Sometimes it pays to take a risk on, on starry-eyed kids. So this guy dumped his 401k, took a risk on these guys and has gotten a, a, a orders of magnitude greater return. This chick. I called 10 people looking to raise hundred K from each of them to buy a $1.2 million piece of land. I ended up getting 600 K from 12 folks. We made 299% on the deal in two years. They have all followed me to the next deals and brought their friends. This guy started off as a broker, knew all the biggest and best investors in my town, and they knew me. One was particular fond of my knowledge of the market and offered to fund my first deal. So this guy went and put himself in a position to capitalize on an opportunity when it showed up. Provided, proved his value to another guy who was worth invest, who, who decided he was worth investing in, and changed his life. We've got some. This may- one, this we've one got some crazy. naysayers in the chat. <clears throat> no way, those are real. This is exactly what I'm talking about. I know these stories are real. I know people who have done this. You can also go to all of these specific stories are real. Like, you can go
1: to these people's profiles, you know, and like look up their LinkedIn. And like,
0: Yeah, it's not right. hard to verify. And maybe they're bullshit, and even, whatever. And even if it is bullshit, it's still true. I know for a fact, I know people who have done this. I know them personally. This or something like this. This guy here, mine was far more messy. This one's crazy. $50,000 in savings, $130,000 HELOC, two 401k loans, equaling a hundred grand and an online lender, 50 grand gave us 280 K to start pumping out off-market burrs in Detroit. Burr is a very interesting thing that I would highly recommend. If you're looking for something to do with yourself, just start studying burr. It stands, if I remember right, it's, it's. Um, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. <clears throat> buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Or you can do it as as burrs, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, scale. It's possible to do this. You can go out and you can do something like this. If you really want to, if you're really concerned about your economic standing if you're really concerned about the state of the world and you're concerned about your ability to navigate through some type of incoming crisis, then I don't want to hear you bitching about the world on social media, unless you're doing this type of thing. It's necessary for us to start doing this type of thing and not just doing it on our own, but doing it cooperatively. This is how you begin building a civilization. If we know that over the next two to five years, commercial real estate is going to be at a big discount, then we can be working now to put ourselves in a position to t- take advantage of that. We can be taking these assets for ourselves. We can use the, the mechanisms of the existing system. If we understand it's corrupt, if we understand it's unfair, if we understand it's skewed toward certain people, then we just have to make ourselves like those people and, to take the resources from the system and reallocate them toward building our own civilization.
1: Mr. Two-Bit Podcast says, primals don't understand investment. It's not part of their frame. You show them how, they still won't do it. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. You could hold their hand through the whole process. They still won't do it. Mm-hmm. You'll see it when someone's selling a course for how to do something, like how to how to learn a particular skill or something like that. Like They've got their specialized knowledge. They've packaged this specialized knowledge, and they're offering it to you so that you don't have to go through the same mistake process they They did. You can just learn from their mistakes, skip to the front of the line, and pick up where they left off. But then people be like, oh, is this real? Does it work? You're charging too much for it. These people are losers. And then even then, like, also, probably—
1: I don't know. I'd say the majority of people who even buy the program still won't do it. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. It's so easy to be... 80% of people who buy something like this never do anything with it. It's so easy to be above average. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Just roll the dice a little bit,
0: you know? CB says, we live in an Amazon Uber Eats world. People want everything now, but things that take hard work are hard to tear down. Building over black pilling. There we go. That's it right there. In order to be able to take on something like this, you have to have discipline. You have to have discipline. You have to have willpower. And you have to have hope and optimism. You have to believe that there's a future worth building. And it just so happens that the more that you believe there's a future worth building, the more you will begin building that future. And the more you begin building that future, the more that future will come to be, and the more you'll believe in it. There's a self-reinforcing process, but you have to take the first step. You have to start actually doing it yourself. And if you're like, oh, I don't want to cold call people. It's a bit embarrassing. Someone might say no to me. <laughs> okay. What are they going to do? Take away your birthday? You're going to say no to you. Okay, go call another person. Do you realize how many fucking people there are in the world? Just English speaking. Just in your own state. I wonder how many of the Black Pillars have children. Probably not many, but I do know of some. Yeah. That's like, it's kind of depressing. Like these poor kids. Yeah, no kidding. Like, what What sort of disservice are you doing to your children if the only thing you focus on is how awful everything is and how it's all coming down around us and we don't get to live like the good old days? What sort yeah, of mentality no are kidding. they growing up? So like? when your kids grow up with
1: that nihilistic attitude and they just, like, fall apart or act out in all sort of sorts of, like, debauched nihilistic ways... And then you're going to throw your hands up and be like, oh, my kids are shit. You know, like, dude, this is your, mm-hmm. your,
0: your fault. And it's the, the people who will act and talk like this will have the audacity to look down on this gay dude that James O'Keefe is talking to. Oh, he's out of touch with reality, nihilist, degenerate. Out of touch with reality, nihilist, and degenerate sounds a lot like blackpilling sounds a lot like the perspective of someone who is black pilled. Part of part of planting trees that your your children so planting trees to create shade that your children will will rest in that's not just about physical capital. It's also about social capital, economic capital, and spiritual capital. You have a responsibility to give them a mindset and give them a skill set that they can use to succeed in the whatever world they live in by the time they're ready. It's not just about giving them stuff. It's not just about like changing the laws in the country or getting different policies with respect to education or crime or whatever. It's also about giving them the spiritual and cognitive tools that they will need to navigate whatever the world looks like when they come of age. And if you're giving them, if you're feeding them negativity and and uh, pessimism and doomerism, then I don't give a shit what great diet you, you're feeding them. I don't care that you've got you get organic and pasture-raised beef and that you homeschool them and you're living with them out in the country. If you're poisoning their mind with, with uh, uh, um anti hope, not actually giving them hope for the future, then all the rest of that shit doesn't matter. You might as well just be sending them to public school. Just get the job done quicker. Yeah, no kidding. Hmm. So here, before we get into the the stuff that Cooper has, because that's the real this is that's going to be the real meat of this episode.
1: Oh, right now we got 64 concurrent you, uh... viewers.
0: We need 38 likes. You we, we, we need 38 more likes. You expect more out of me than I think I have to offer, but okay. <laughs> I'll hold you to a high standard, Cooper.
1: Yeah, you shouldn't do that. I am a proponent of mediocrity. <laughs> yeah.
0: So this tweet, as I was getting ready for the show, this one came across my my uh, my feed and it was like, oh, this is perfect. So uh, Cernovich says, if you grew up poor, you understand that work sucks. It's something you have to do to live, clock in and get paid, and your real life is outside of work. Whereas middle-class kids grew up thinking jobs are a place of meaning and you're broken if you don't like it. And Scott Adams said, rich people lied to poor people and told them to follow their passion to be successful, as if. This is part of this entitlement, like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to make a cold call. I don't want to go knock on doors. I don't want to, oh, uh, that stuff sounds like it would suck. I don't want to work a job I don't enjoy. <laughs> it's like how freaking entitled are you go do something that sucks and have a plan to get yourself to where it doesn't suck anymore and we've got some ideas for you first here's another great tweet from a good guy to follow um greg eisenberg he's actually if i remember right he i think he's part of the podcast that had Yarvin on recently i might be thinking of someone different um Anyways, he's another one of these guys that comes from the the VC entrepreneur circles. He said, this is the best time to start a company in 30 years. I'll summarize some of the best opportunities for you. So here's, here's some ideas you can start with. This is just to get you started, pick any of them, pick none of them, sit there and cry about how it doesn't sound fun or you don't know where to start or whatever. Number one, buy distressed VC assets, recap them, offer team dividends going forward, turn them into profit machines. Number two, the media apocalypse is here. 20,000 plus media employees have been laid off in the last 12 months from Condé Nast to Washington post. How can you build a new media company? That's profitable AI powered and community first with that talent. Number three, Apple vision pro app store, 400,000 headsets will be sold in the next 12 months. It looks like a joke until it isn't create unique apps for that app store. Be first. So some of these, some of these are going to require you, like you can, you can't start from the couch. Like some of these might require you to to learn a particular skill. You might need to learn how to code in some certain language or um, like this, this stuff beyond me. I don't have any fucking idea how this stuff works. But if you're interested in that and you have that uh, inclination toward that skill set, then there you go. Number 4. This one I don't understand at all. I don't know what Figma is, but he says the figmification of everything. Turning software that was, was once single player into multiplayer is a generational opportunity. The future of software looks like Arc, Figma, etc. Figma male grindset. Yeah. <laughs> Number 5. SaaS business model is dying. People are tired of SaaS subscriptions. One-time payments or pay per task SaaS is becoming normal. Yeah. So you can go you can go master a particular software as a service become an expert in it and then freelance with it and charge people per task. This is something you can do in your spare time. Yep. Yeah. Subscriptions suck. Uh huh. I hate subscriptions. I like this term elder tech boomers are retiring. Probably one of the most underserved audiences so much to be built for them. If you're super, super jaded about the boomers and like you recognize that these people are just, you you see how they let, how they treated their, their parents. When their parents retired, they put them in a home and visited them once a month and they're, and just like blew through their entire inheritance and they're not leaving you anything. Well, this is a way you can take advantage of them. You can start investing in, in, in old folks' homes or in technology that old folks are going to need when they're, when they're in those homes or. Or even for the, for the people who have families that will actually take care of them and provide for them, you can come up with ideas, think of certain problems they might have, they got all the money, go get that money from them. You could don't just complain that they're going to throw it away on other ventures, go get your basket and put your fucking basket in those ventures and catch it. Number seven, leverage creators. They are mispriced. Most creators can't monetize beyond brand deals. They have distribution, old media dreams of partner with them. Help them productize themselves and earn upside. GPT store fastest growing product of all time. Just launched an app store, literally the next app store. Agents for everyone. You can get an agent and you can get an agent and you get an agent who will be the Oprah of AI agents. Number 10 productize services. How can you make a service like a product enable it by global workforce and AI. We built meetdispatch.com to build marketing assets for folks on a monthly basis. People pay us monthly fees, a monthly fee to turn their market assets, landing pages, lead magnets, social assets, into revenue generating machines. Business does sit seven figures overnight. What's kind of funny about this one is he says the the SaaS subscription model is dying. And then here he's got his his he's got his, his SaaS model that's a subscription. <laughs> uh the Ah, uh, the unbundling of ChatGPT. ChatGPT won't be everything to everyone, just like how Craigslist, Reddit, etc., got unbundled. So will ChatGPT. ChatGPT for X. This is, I mean, if you if you want to skate to where the puck is going, start doing stuff for AI. You can complain about how AI is 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 the going to be the end of all humanity, or you can capitalize on its presence and its growth and put yourself somewhere to use AI to make a bunch of money and, and resources and network off of AI and then use that to insulate yourself from when shit hits the fan. Number 12, internet memberships are the new community. Digital communities that sell workshops, IRL events, software deals, etc. I created a limited membership with a monthly email f- with startup ideas, trends, private Q and a free $99 a month school sub, which is a company that, that um, Alex Ramosi just partnered with software deals, and built $27,000 in monthly recurring revenue in three months. If you want to join digital community where we're going to be working on things like this, subscribe star.com slash kingpilled. come join the King discord server. Number 13, the rise of the detox economy. People are overloaded with screens and seed oils, build businesses for this new detox economy. Number 14, high interest rates at five to 6% make companies want to increase profits and reduce costs. There's a bunch of businesses to create, to help them do that. Start thinking creatively, go solve a problem for someone, recognize a problem somebody has and go figure out a way to solve it for them. 15, almost half of Gen Z doesn't believe in religion, the rise of community-based brands. This is your opportunity to build things they feel connected to. Number 16, happiness, fulfillment, stability, and safety are at all time lows for Gen Z relative to other generations. How can we build products and services to help them? If you recognize happiness, fulfillment, stability, and safety, are things that Gen Z really lacks, then start thinking through what their life is like. What's making them not feel fulfilled? What would make them feel fulfilled? What's making them feel unstable? What would make them feel stable? If you don't know, go ask one. Mm -hmm. They'll happily tell you just about how every last thing about their life sucks.
1: I could do a 10 minute monologue right
0: now for you. (laughs) Exactly where all the pain points are. This one might be kind of tough because the other thing with Gen Z is that they don't have a lot of money. So, <laughs> I mean, this is a, this is, here's a free business tip for you. When you're trying to come up with a product, figure out a way to target that product to people who can actually pay for that product. <laughs> Having the perfect product mar- market match doesn't matter if, if your ideal market can't afford your product.
1: <laughs> Narniak69 in the chat says LMFAO 15 to 16. That's a really good point.
0: Yeah, 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 that's true. I'll bet you those ideas were connected for him too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, I, wonder, I wonder what's going on there. How many more we got? we got a few more here <clears throat> and I want to put all these out here because I don't know which of these is going to click for someone. Hopefully one of them does. Hopefully any of you who are feeling dissatisfied, who want to know where you can start actually building capital and kind of get yourself out of the rat race and begin positioning yourself to take advantage of things like cheap real estate, cheap commercial real estate or cheap real estate in the, uh, in the heartland. Or, you know, if there's going to be some kind of a split in the country and when one group of states is going to go one direction, another group of states is going to go the other direction, and you want to be with one of them and you're not right now, then you need to position yourself to be able to get there. Whether that means being able to work remotely or getting a a job in an industry that's that's, uh, a, that's a, a specialization in the area you want to move, thinking this along these lines. Number 17, Google is being completely rewritten thanks to AI. Billions of visits are up for grabs. People are calling it SEO 2.0. Learn how to do it yourself at boringmarketing.com/freecourse, slash free course, which is his, one of his things or hire someone Boringmarketing.com. These boring ways to get customers like SEO will only get more popular. The internet's not going away. Social media is not going away. This is, we've only begun to scratch the surface of what is going to happen socially through the internet. The only way that social media is going away is like if a comet hits the con- hits the, the planet and sends us back into the Stone Age. So you can build on the internet, you can build on social media, it's not going anywhere. And we're basically right now like apes sitting here banging rocks together in terms of our sophistication and what we understand about social media and AI and the, 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 the potential associated with them that's going to be realized by someone. Privacy-first startups. Yeah, most people care more about convenience than anything, but there's a growing privacy movement. The more people get hacked and phished, the more they care about their privacy and security. Number 19, TikTok stores. Today, I met an 18 year old guy who made a million dollars in the last 45 days from a TikTok store. He sourced the product, partnered with a creator, never raised a dollar and was profitable on every purchase. I think you'll start seeing more of these stories with the rise of social selling live, IG live and TikTok live selling. There's another thing. You get lots of people who want to complain about how stupid and retarded TikTok is and how much of a, of, a, of a toxic poison it is. And But it's there. It's sitting there. It's one of the best ways to get in front of people. So if you have something of value that you could offer those people and you're choosing not to because you don't want to get icky TikTok on you, then you're doing those people a disservice. They would benefit from whatever you have to offer them and you're never putting it in front of them Because you think you're too good for their platform. Multipreneurship portfolio of internet businesses instead of one internet business, small mindset shift, big difference Buy small profitable businesses to help scale it, fund it via customers. Ideally 21, the pop of the newsletter bubble when the newsletter bubble pops. Yes. When it'll be an opportunity to scoop up interesting newsletters and aggregate and take them from a newsletter business to a business powered by a newsletter. This is a really interesting one. And this is the sort of, of venture that you might not even really need a lot of, of, capital to start off with. You just need to have a vision and start building it. He says, uh, this is just a few to get your creative juices flowing. After reading this, do you agree? The opportunities right now are kind of mind blowing. Every business is made out of thin air. Just a good idea the right timing and consistency. The right timing is now it fires me fires me up. Does it fire you up? Hopefully this does fire you guys up. Hopefully you do um, whatever skill set you have. It's time to start building. It's time to start using that and building intentionally, not just um, not just building uh, sort of to like give yourself a little nest egg or something like that. We need to be forming ourselves into intentional communities and building projects together, cross investing with each other, building out networks to support each other. This is one of the things that, that Owen Benjamin gets right, is the idea of Bertaria. Bertaria is a really cool idea with a lot of potential. The liminal order, Jack Murphy's liminal order, another really cool idea. It's kind of like the exit group with uh, um, uh, Bennett's phylactery on, on Twitter. Exitgroup.us. These are the kinds of of of, of um, intentional internet communities that we need to start forming our, the future survival of our, of our, uh, civilization, to be able to build a civilization and then survive into the future with it is going to depend upon us intentionally forming these kinds of organizations. Now, not just passively consuming internet content, but actually going there with a purpose and using the internet to build capital for ourselves, social capital, networks, relationships, communities, physical capital which is land, uh, uh, equipment, buildings, and then, uh, uh, what was the other one? Physical capital, social capital, and uh, um, economic capital, which would be more broadly money, resources, et cetera. We need to build these things together because we can actually cooperate and we can leverage ourselves far beyond what people have been able to do in the past. And we can begin innovating in the digital space together and figure out ways to connect them digital space to meet space. This is something that we've been spending a lot of time thinking and talking about, and we've got a whole bunch of ideas. We're beginning to roll out some of them in the, within the King Pilled uh, group right now. And that's where we're brainstorming on a lot of this. We've got a lot of long, long-term plans, but if all of this stuff, if all of these are too creative, they're too far out of your wheelhouse, you don't know how to come up with the ideas. You just need something really basic entry level, you know, you're like, man, I'm an unimpressive person. I have no idea how to accomplish those crazy things. I don't have the experience. I don't have the know-how. I don't have the time, whatever. Our good friend here, our good friend Cooper, has stumbled across an absolutely fascinating, I was going to say business venture. It's not even a business venture. It's like a, 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 a I don't know. Cooper, you you, you explain. Well, I guess, first of
1: all, and this will dovetail well into our uh, recent discussions vis-a-vis like the managerial class and our enemies. Um, so I'll read a couple of excerpts from a wise philosopher. And kind of talking about the state of modern employment. Some of the traps. And then uh, maybe kind of a solution. And then we'll talk. To we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this guy's specific uh, solution, but then we'll kind of maybe broaden up and tie it into aforementioned conversations we've had here on the Real King Build Show. In any case, <clears throat> the trap of commitment. Back in the days of IBM dominance, there was such a thing as quote lifetime employment. Being tied, or married, to a job and company made sense. The commitment from both parties was there, at least nominally. But lifetime employment and job security died an undignified death, and all we have now is job insecurity. But companies, being entitled and greedy, decided they owed no loyalty to their employees while still demanding their employees be loyal to them. It's like getting all the downside and none of the upside of being married. You get all the responsibility of being a spouse, but no commitment. No companionship in harsh times, etc. All you get is court mandated intercourse once a month via a paycheck. Companies try to induce loyalty with the good old carrot and stick. The carrot comes in two forms. The first are all the psychological tricks used to create meaning or community pizza parties, arcade cabinets in the office, free breakfast, Super Smash Bros. tournaments, employee of the month, all the talk about ownership, owning your work. They want to make you think you're more than just a number on their balance sheet, that you're part of the family. The second one is what, quote, greatest writer alive and commentator on modern employment, Paul Scallus, identifies as the game of, quote, loving what you do. Scallus points out that since modern employees are not only not getting rich, but work and life conditions are such that they can't even conceive or think about building real wealth, the game is then changed from one of increasing your wealth or bettering your material conditions to a loftier, more abstract one of, quote, loving what you do. If you love what you do, then it doesn't matter if you're not getting rich or or are underappreciated and overworked. You're still winning in life somehow. The stick also comes in two forms. First, are all those NDAs, non-competes, and dozens of other documents and contracts they make you sign in order to guarantee your destruction if you were to ever do something, quote, disloyal, and or guarantee that you Guarantee that you couldn't destroy them if they pulled something nasty on you. The other form of the stick comes from reputation destruction. It's not that companies go out of their way to destroy a, a worker's reputation, and I'd say that rarely happens. But the issue is that on your resume, you need to have shown loyalty to a company in order to be attractive to other companies who might want to hire you. So it is of the utmost importance that you stop thinking of your job as a, quote, commitment or that you need to love it. Your job is not like a wife. Hell, it's not even like a steady girlfriend. You need to think of jobs as mistresses that you frequent without being committed to in any one of them. You are there for one thing, and they are there for one thing. Don't make their problems your problems. Don't fall for them telling you you are their special guy. No employee of theirs is special or irreplaceable. So do not ever think to yourself that you owe them anything because they've been so nice to you. And especially don't ever think they feel anything deep or special for you. You should not feel bad about being dislo- about <clears throat> you should not feel bad about not being loyal or committed and you should not feel bad about breaking one-sided rules the company makes up. So that's the first excerpt. <clears throat> Two more that are shorter. The trap of productivity. The trap of productivity has a long history since it sits at the core of employee employer relations. The issue with productivity is that there is an inherent and perpetual conflict between employee and employer. The employer naturally wants the employee to be as productive as possible while paying him as little as possible, while the employee naturally wishes the opposite, to be paid as much as possible for doing as little as possible. In the past, this conflict used to be clear to everyone because what employers demanded was explicit and conspicuous. Either work 16 hours at the factory in terrible conditions or simply starve to death. The labor movements of the 19th and 20th century won many battles on behalf of labor and limited many of the explicit conditions and demands that employers could place on employees. The conflict never actually went away, of course, and employers still desire to extract as much production as possible from their employees. Alas, they can't do it explicitly anymore since they are limited by labor laws, even if in many places there is no longer any real labor movement to speak of. But there's a loophole. The law only stops the employer from exploiting its employees. However, if employees were to exploit themselves, the company would not be as clearly liable. So this is exactly what companies went for. They laid out a trap of creating work environments and narratives of productivity that would tacitly push employees to give more of themselves to their employers to self exploit. Hence why you constantly hear that you should strive to be better at your job each day, that you should push yourself towards excellence, towards mastery, towards increasing your productivity. And here's kind of a, uh, the, the third excerpt is uh, more or less his solution to this, or his, at least his praxis. The right to be mediocre. Yes, that's right. This book defends and advocates that dreaded word in today's world, mediocrity. Most of us are mediocre, average, yet our leaders and people in power hate regular people. They despise the average and are always trying to make us feel bad for not being on some journey of constant self-improvement. Some people just want to wake up late in the morning or spend their time grilling burgers. We don't all have to become the next Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, or Jocko Willink. The right to be mediocre is a sort of rebellion against managers. Managers are the worst type of employee because a manager is someone that behaves as if he had ownership in the business when he doesn't. And as such, he is a sort of, quote, class trader, an employee that is there to represent the company and the owner class's interests, betraying the interests of the employees. They have taken increased responsibility visibility and ownership which simply translates to them having increased their problems so they in turn want to make their problems your problems want to make their stresses yours the right to be mediocre at work is actually the right to pursue your own interests to rest to be with your family and to be free of the worries and stress of work the problem is you can't just be the problem is it can't just be asserted publicly you can't let anybody else know you don't care about work And want to do the minimum because you never know which coworker has bought into all the myths and traps we have delineated in this chapter. Short of the general strikes of old, there's no collective action possible to assert this. So you are on your own. In order to actually enjoy and assert this right, you have to paradoxically approach mediocrity. In order to actually enjoy and assert this right, you have to paradoxically approach mediocrity in an active and engaged manner. Simply being mediocre is not enough. You need to become the king of mediocrity. So, yeah, Cooper's Cozy Corner. (laughs) This is from a guy, well, it's from a book called Job Stacking by a guy, J. Rolf Holtza, who I was recently turned onto uh, by Oren McIntyre. He uh, is a sponsor on Oren's show. He is not paying us by the by. Um, but if he would like to. He doesn't even know who we are. Yeah, he has no idea who we are. If you would like to pay us, uh, you know, that'd be cool. Um, his approach to kind of solving this problem that we find ourselves in, this this sort of this grind in our war against the managers, is what he calls job stacking. And this is predicated on a handful of um, ideas, concepts one is related to this thing called parkinson's law which states something to the effect of the amount of work we have expand to fit a, a given like allotted time so let's say you have an eight hour work day and you only have two hours worth of work to do you're going to expand that two hours to fill the eight hour workday because you get paid by the hour so you're going to spend you know you're going to half-ass it you're going to fuck off you're going to whatever everyone does this According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average person works like 8.8 hours per day, but the amount of time they actually spend doing like productive work is like two to three hours. Like 85% of people are mediocre. And by mediocre, what he means is they're not excelling, they're not like going above and beyond, they're just meeting the requirements of their job. That's it. And they go home. And leveraging these things, like, okay, keep in mind, like, why should you go above and beyond? Given everything that he said there, I mean, it's absolutely true. It, employers, the managers, the managerial class, they're happy to just extract productivity from you. If you're going to be, the, there's kind of this kind of plays on the, uh, the boomer mindset, which I think has ties into kind of puritanism and the puritanical work ethic that we've all been inculturated into. This idea that you know, you work really hard and you do 150% and then you climb the corporate ladder, you'll be recognized and you'll be given more responsibility. You'll take that on and maybe you'll get promoted to a manager and then maybe someday you'll run the company or whatever. That just doesn't exist anymore. It's not a thing. So what you're actually doing by going above and beyond and doing 150% is giving yourself more responsibility, more visibility. Um, In other words, putting your neck out further. So in case anything bad happens, uh, you know, now your name is on the on the chopping block but in any case you're giving yourself more work to be compensated by i don't know getting your picture hung on the wall as employee of the month in other words you're working harder and you're not getting paid anymore you're not being compensated for that extra work you're doing so leveraging these facts granted that most people only do two to three hours of actually productive work in an environment such as today where remote work is now possible, if you fill your eight-hour day with more than one job, job stacking, and spread those, like, okay, let's say you do three jobs and you're only doing two hours worth of productive work, two to three hours of productive work for each job. If you spread them out and you learn to balance and multitask and do this properly, according to you know his strategy, the way he's done it, you can take three full-time salaries while working an eight-hour day. So basically, instead of sitting there fucking off on your phone, if you're actually being productive, great. Now you can take home more than one full-time salary. Um, so that was a bit of a rant.
0: Lost my train of thought a little bit. In other words... So then... Oh, go ahead. So with job stacking then, like what, what... Like, is this something you would necessarily have to, I mean, someone would say, someone says, okay, you're going to work eight hours. You're going to do three jobs, three full-time jobs. They might be thinking, okay, so I'm trying to get, I've got my, you know, whatever work from home job doing sales or something for 80 grand a year. And I'm going to try to stack all those. How am I going to fit that into, 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 uh, eight hours a day. But does it turns out that to do this type of thing and to do it properly, you can actually start with really bare minimum jobs. Yeah, think about it. Mean, it depends like, <laughs> on what your income requirement is. Take an entry-level job
1: doing like, I don't know, data entry or something like that. That can be done 100% remotely. There's not a whole lot of oversight. And you can land a job like that that pays, I don't know, $30,000, $35,000 a year. So $35,000 a year, how hard would it take? Even completely no experience, you're totally green. How hard would it be for anybody here in the chat to get a job making thirty five dollars year? It wouldn't be very hard. You could probably land a job like that in like a week. Now imagine you had three of those. And you were able to manage them. Manage your time properly. Your productive work. Because most of the time people spend at work is just spent, like I said, fucking off or pretending to be busy. What if you actually spent that time actually being busy? And just took on more than one job? Well, if you took on two or three, we'll say three. Let's say you took on three jobs that are each entry-level jobs paying $35,000 a year, and you're able to manage that in an eight or nine hour window, well, now you're making 100K. You're making six figures doing entry-level work. That's totally brainless, and you don't have to leave your house. So this is really interesting. And you're getting three years of experience for every year that you work. Yes, yes. And data entry was just an example. I mean, you could a bunch of different... But yeah, I mean, this guy at his peak, he said he was he was because he's kind of the master at this. So he's, you know, when he was really testing out his method and you
0: can go to his website, sign up for his course. It's totally I think I I think it's totally worth it. If Um, you do sign up for it, JobStacking.com is his website. Like we said, we're not affiliated with him. We might try to become affiliated with him if we can get in touch with him. I like what this guy's doing. Yeah, I very much believe in what he's doing. And I think it'd be very valuable for a lot of people because of like this idea that you can take. You don't have to try to think about doing eight difficult full-time jobs. Or sorry, you could do eight if you wanted. Three difficult full-time jobs in eight hours or four or five. You could go to really entry-level, really easy jobs and just stack a bunch of them and figure out how to negotiate them together. If you if you lose a job, whatever, just go get a different one. Or maybe it's like, oh, I, was, I had too much going on. I'll stick with the with right. the, uh, with Remember, the jobs. Remember,
1: you're not me. part of the family like employers want you to believe. You're a number on their sheet. Okay, mm-hmm. they want you to do a job, do the job. That's it. Your your responsibility.
0: Yeah.
1: Your responsibility is just to perform the job to their satisfaction, which like I said, 85% of people are mediocre. The the like the stats, the requirements, the metrics you need to meet are not that high. It's not that hard. And man, I keep almost saying something, then you fucking derail me. because um, <laughs> what employers are really paying for is they're paying for your availability. You know what I mean? They're paying for you to be available for eight hours. This is why they're more likely to pick up like, well, this is why, okay, it would make sense for an employer and it would be a lot cheaper. It would make a lot sense for them to get contractors to do all their work for them because they could just pay a contractor to do the job for the amount of hours that it takes. They pay them for that. They go away. They don't have to give them like dental. They don't have to do all of this stuff. But the problem with contractors is that contractors have multiple clients. They might not be available when you need them. So, This is why employers pay for employees. They're paying for you to be available. Even if there's only like two hours of work, you don't get to go to your job, do your two hours of work, and then say, okay, boss, it's 10 o'clock. I'm going home now. That doesn't work like that. They want you available in case something else comes up. So leveraging this fact, like, okay, for example, this guy at his peak, when he was really fleshing out his method, is he was working seven jobs, seven jobs working eight hours a day, let's say, I don't know, 30 grand. Let's just take entry level jobs. 30 grand, working eight hours a day, seven jobs. That's $210,000 per year. So if you're someone who is, uh, you know, kind of doom pillin and you're like, well, there's nowhere for me to go. And I'm guilty of this myself or like the current industry I'm in, there is no trajectory. There's nowhere for me to go. And inflation is just eating away my wages. And I'm making ostensibly a good wage, a really good wage. So it's like there's nowhere else for me to go. It's just going to continue getting worse for me. And you the can do—you can
0: try to do—is trade more time for more dollars. Right. That, that doesn't scale.
1: <laughs> no, it doesn't scale because there's only so many hours in a day. But with the possibility of remote work, you don't have. See, this wasn't possible just a few years ago, because you had to actually go into an office where you had a boss. You know what i mean but now that you have remote work you don't have a boss looming over you you don't have cameras looking at you you can juggle this if you do it right you can juggle this and if you're someone who's like doom pilling about the fact that there's no prospects for you and that you can't build any capital and that you can't you know maybe you have these sort of lost lofty aspirations or things you want to do these goals or these ideas that you want to flesh out in real life here's one potential possible strategy for you where you could like I, you could start making a hundred grand easy. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy in so far as like you're gonna be busy, you're gonna be working, and it's probably gonna be stressful. But it'll just be eight hours. You just do your eight hours of work, and you can just you like okay. Imagine if you had an extra sixty thousand dollars a year. That, you know, like let's say you you know you make forty fifty thousand dollars a year. Your expenses are paid but you're living paycheck to paycheck. Now add another 50 grand on top of that. That is just like,
0: you now have 50 grand. And, and, and if you think that that's like, you're like, oh no, they're going to, they're going to come after me. They're going to, you know, it's, it's you really, really underestimate just how ordinary and mediocre and unimpressive and unproductive the average person is who's making a consistent, has a steady job and they're not going to get fired anytime soon. Cause firing them is going to cost more money than they cost just being mediocre. Yeah, I remember. Question here from, go ahead. Well,
1: I just I remember I remember working a job for an insurance company, really one of these Fortune 500 companies. Many you know years ago, I was like 18 and didn't really care that much about it. Um, A lot of it was kind of call center stuff. It kind of sucked, but like I, I was late every day. The metrics that they wanted you to meet, as far as like calls and whatever that you did each month or whatever, I was underperforming like by like 50 percent, and I was late every day. And they still kept me around for a year because it was more valuable to have me there taking that 50% like that, you know, I don't know, the 40 calls I took a day instead of the 100 I was supposed to take. It was more valuable for them to keep me around doing that. Than to have to like fire me and find another person because there was also, you had to get like your Series 6 license through like FINRA, you had to do all the like, SEC stuff. So it's like there was a pretty big barrier to entry and it was a big cost, a big hassle. It's like training someone and onboarding them takes like a month and a half. And it's like if you could get over that hump, had I not been late every day, I probably could have kept that job for another two years before they finally said, okay, we got to get this guy out of here. So if you approach jobs as being like as non-committal, like, OK, this is you want me to do a job. I'm going to do the job as best I can. Or, you know, I'm going to meet your floor, whatever your expectation is. You have this job you want done. I will do that job. I'm not going to ex- like blow your mind or exceed or overachieve or anything like that. I'll just do the job. And you're going to pay me per the job description. That's it. Um, I mean, you can hang on to a job like that, at least for a couple of years. And not only that, like, if you lose it, okay, get another entry-level job. Like, you just jump right into the next one. It's not a big deal. Don't, like, wrap up your identity into this, like, shitty corporate world that hates
0: you, doesn't care about you. Stop. And you can can scale these up as well. So if you start off and you get...
1: Imagine working seven jobs for a year. Only working eight Uh hours a day, stacking seven jobs and working that for a year. You just got seven years worth of experience. In one year, now you can leverage that for even higher-paying jobs yes. that are a little more niche. The next year, and stack those. I mean, this guy's making over twenty thousand dollars a month.
0: He Working came three from, jobs, you, like software engineering, or yeah, something like, like software that? or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And then that's where it's like, you know, you could really, you can really get, like, this won't work for certain industries. Like sales, this, this probably wouldn't work super well for sales unless you found the right company and you're, and you're like, you can fucking like just go. Um, but a lot of really basic customer service data entry. Um, if you, if you get, if you like, if you SQL, do you even SQL bro? Like, if like I'm sure you could find database jobs or something like that, that are. Where you're basically just kind of left alone you're just expected to meet certain metrics and you're just a, a a number in the in their database and just meet the floor get it done and um and he's he lays out the the plan for exactly how to go about this he has his course you can go to his course and sign up for it if you do just tell him King Pill sent you and, and maybe then he'll uh, he'll know who we are um this question you know, here that ryan put just one last thing like think of it this way
1: what would be easier Like taking your current job, going to your employer and trying to get a 50% raise, or just picking up a bullshit job that's 50% of
0: your current salary. Mm hmm. Way easier. Then never leave the house.
1: Yeah. Like I'm okay. So let's say you're, yeah, you make 30 bucks an hour or something. Let's say you got a decent job, making about 60 grand a year, 30 bucks an hour, whatever. How easy would it be for you to get a 15, like a $15 an hour job? That's basically yeah. functionally like minimum wage today.
0: You could get a job like that today. You can apply for it today and get a call tomorrow. There's, there's jobs out there that we were looking through, looking through job postings earlier today. There's jobs out there that the minimum requirement is a high school diploma or a GED that will pay you 20 bucks an hour working fully remotely with benefits, doing mind-numbing stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it, so, and that like, the, this is the mentality is, is yeah. So what it's mind numbing. You're not doing this for the rest of your life. You're doing this to stack cash early, like quick, like all these guys, we, we, the, the, the stuff I was reading of the you're people just getting who it. called people and just asked them for money. If you want to put yourself in a position where you can start buying real estate or you can relocate yourself, or you can start investing in stuff and building equity, if you want to get yourself to that position and you're just treading water, barely making it by trying to figure out how to combat inflation, maybe you need to downsize your house or whatever. Yeah. This is pick up two extra jobs making 30 grand each. You're making an extra 60 grand a year grind on this for two years there. You just made an extra 120 grand.
1: Yeah. You do this for five years. Not only did you just like five X your work experience, uh, but like, Hey, zoomer guy, you can actually own a home. You know, you can, I don't know. You can buy rental properties. You you could go in a million directions. You'd have the capital to start a venture, whatever you could then move it you can move into freelancing and subcontracting that point. At that point, you could just start like subcontracting people to do this work. You could have some soccer mom that you pay a thousand dollars, you know, a month. She just wants, you know, some extra spending cash or whatever to do, you know, I don't know, have a year to do six months worth of work. And yeah, like this, this shit just, it's a strategy. It's a good strategy.
0: Let's address Ryan's question here. Ideas yeah, on finally. how to negotiate not being available for the other jobs when they're expecting you to be available all day. Um, I'm still reading the book. I don't know. And the other thing too here is that is that they are. This is so. This is part of why we call this piracy, because. They might be expecting you to go buy the guy's course. I don't. I don't know.
1: He'll he'll he has the answers for you. Or get back to me and like get back to me like next week because I just bought the course. So I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into all this and then maybe uh try it on for size
0: because I'm tired of driving a Mm -hmm. truck, man. I'm getting tired of it. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like they they may want to like make this demand on your time and expect you to to be available. But it's none of their business what you're doing. With the rest, they're not paying for exclusivity, right? Exactly. It. If they may meeting... think that they are, but if they haven't contractually indicated that you are that you are exclusively theirs from eight to five, then it doesn't matter what else you're doing. And even if it's they did,
1: even if they did write in the contract that you signed that like, oh, you'll have no other job or whatever, like at most, maybe they have a civil case against you. Which mm-hmm. honestly, it's gonna be a lot easier for them just to fire you yes. than to try to go to court. And then just go get
0: another one. Yeah, just get another guy. So like, yeah, this is this is this is like one of my first thoughts that I had. And I could imagine someone else well, thinking to Ryan like, to Ryan's question like, well, like that. Your question right there is like the number
1: one question. That's like the point of the guy's course. So, right. Maybe this is all bullshit. I don't know. We're just starting to get into it. I'm just saying, like, this is an interesting idea. And I like the way he's thinking. And I think more of us should be thinking like this mm-hmm. instead of thinking that you should grind at your freaking you know, $22 an hour job. And then my hope you get a promotion or something.
0: My expectation is within the next two to five years, somewhere in that time frame. then as more people start doing this, as the idea gets more popular, then eventually the employers are going to cotton onto it and they're going to start trying to add exclusivity clauses or or that sort of thing. But all that does is just improve your bargaining power with respect to them. Because right. now if they want you exclusive, they're going to have to pay for exclusivity. Right.
1: This or, puts no, the I'm bargaining power, here. this this puts it in your, like, this, this puts you in the seat of power here. Because like an example that uh, the the great philosopher Rolf Holtze, uh uses, it's like, okay, let's say you have a plumber that's your contractor. Um, and he fixes your toilet once a month. And he also, let's say he, he fixes 100 toilets a month. That's his That's his overall productivity. 100 toilets a month. He fixes your toilet once a month. But you for whatever psychotic reason don't like that he's working on anyone else's toilets and you only want him working on yours. So to make a deal with this guy that you basically have him on retainer and he only fixes your toilet you would have to pay him what? You would think at least you'd have to pay him 100 toilets worth. You'd have to pay him for a month's worth of work to guarantee that he's exclusively yours, but it wouldn't just be that you'd have to pay him more because not only is he just like on retainer, basically for you exclusively, but he's also losing out on other client relationships, portfolio job opportunities. What happens if your, your toilet doesn't need to be fixed that month. Does that mean he doesn't get paid that month? You know, so you'd actually have to give him more than you'd have to give him like 200% of what his like his monthly income is. In order to buy that exclusivity. And make it make sense and be fair for him. So if an employer. They want you exclusively. They want your total productive time. They want to own that. But they don't. They only like. They you know. They're only getting like two hours worth of actual productive work. Out of you every day anyway. If you'll give them eight. They'll take eight and they won't pay you anymore. Mm -hmm.
0: So why give them eight? And if you're getting everything done that they're asking you to do, if you're, you're caught up on all your metrics or you're, you know, you're never late on anything, you're not making mistakes, then I mean, in that case, you like they're, they're never going to even pay attention. It it's never going to be even be on their radar. You could be worse than that. And it's still not going to be on their radar for the most part. I mean, you probably have to be selective with the companies that you work for. It'd probably be easier to do this sort of thing um working for large companies than smaller companies, because you stand out more in a smaller company. Um but even so i mean even even worst case scenario say employers start catching on to this 2 to 5 years down the line it's become they all cooperate together and start doing exclu- exclusivity clauses you just doesn't work with anyone or whatever okay fine so this this you're is still a not going to be held criminally liable you're not going to be held criminally liable still but even right, and even then. And, and like even if it's even if it's just just a blip in time where this this works for 2 to 5 years okay Get we'll do it. it for 2 to 5 years and stack all that extra cash that you can make and start investing it into things, into things that are actually sustainable. I wanted to bring up, um, we got to wrap up here shortly, but <clears throat> on, uh, reading rich dad, poor dad, it's kind of a meme. Like, Oh, I read rich dad, poor, Ma- poor dad, And it changed the way that I look, but no, seriously, like if you haven't read rich dad, poor dad, read rich dad, poor dad, the audiobook is free on YouTube. It's six hours long. If you're, if you're a, uh, uh, a, a civilized sophisticated person like me, you'll listen to it on two X. The reading is actually very easy because the guy reads it slow. So two X's should be easy. It, It will reframe the way that you look at these things, and it'll make the task of building capital for yourself much more accessible and attainable. One of the interesting things that he points out is he has his own definition of what an asset is and what a liability is. If we're building civilizational capital together, what we're doing is we're accumulating assets. And he doesn't define it the way an accountant does. He says an asset is anything that puts money in your pocket. Assets can be a business which doesn't require your presence, real estate, stocks, bonds, notes and royalties from intellectual property. A liability takes money out of your pocket. So, ideally, you want to like I'm not I wouldn't have the expectation that you're going to start job stacking and you're going to you're going to job stack and work 5 jobs simultaneously for the next 10, 20, 30 years like this isn't you got to break yourself out of the the get on a single career track and and, and, and that's work just your not way a thing anymore that whole time. No, think it's of yourself. Thing, as like a freelancer. It really hasn't been a thing for like 20 years. Yeah. Think
1: of yourself as like a freelancer. Basically, mm-hmm. think of yourself that way. Right. And this will make much more sense. Like Kate says here, just found a remote job opening at Disney for data entry at 25 an hour. Only high school diploma required. Yeah. So right there, 25 an hour. What is that? That's uh, fifty two thousand dollars a year. Okay, get mm-hmm. that, and then another bullshit $35,000 a year entry-level whatever job. Do those at the same time. You're making $87,000 a year? Bet that's more than you're making right now. Uh-huh. And you get to do it from home, and it's still an eight-hour workday?
0: And Why if, you you're already, like, if you're a guy who already works from home, maybe you're a software developer or something like that, and you're already making hundred and twenty dollars or 150 dollars $80,000. I, I don't know what the fucking guys make. If you're already in that position, don't you think you could get a part-time job, or not a part-time job, but an entry-level job um, at Disney, making 25 bucks an hour for data entry? Like, they might say, oh, you're overqualified. You can just minimize your qualifications. Yeah, that's another thing. Your resume is not legally binding.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. You can just make it all up. I don't recommend you do that, but you can do that. You could theoretically do that. Not to mention, like, think of it this way. So... Like, OK, even let's say I picked up two or three jobs and I was making 10 grand more than I am now. Well, that's not that much, but I don't have it's to leave 10 my grand. It's 10 grand more and I don't have to leave my or even if I just break even just work two jobs or whatever that is mindless, whatever. I don't have to leave my house. I can work from home. Mm-hmm. That's worth quite a lot to me because I hate going and
0: driving a truck. <laughs> I'm tired of doing it in Michigan winters. <laughs> And if you're like, if you, if you think of yourself like a freelancer, like Cooper was saying, if you, if you, you think you of a freelancer of like, as a, as a business owner, like a business owner who has, if you, if you've met, if you went and saw, some guy had like a store or some sort of service he offered or something like that. And you were like, Oh wow. How many clients do you have? He's he all oh, one. You'd be like, you're not a very good businessman. Like what if that client decides to fire you, then what are you going to do? This is what you are. If you have one job, if you have one single source of income, then you're a very poor, you're, a, you're an extremely poor freelancer. You are a freelancer. Everyone's a freelancer. They just don't want to admit it. You are only, only the successful ones want to admit it, rather. Everyone's a freelancer and only the successful ones want to admit it. But you are a freelancer working a single job for a single client. You're offering, yeah. And what you're offering is your availability to perform
1: X task. Okay. So what does a freelancer need to do to be successful? Well, he needs multiple streams of income. So you, being the freelancer that you are, who's going by the name employee, also need to increase your streams of income. Diversify. Mm -hmm. This is where diversity is good.
0: (laughs) Probably the only place. Yeah. So to tie this back into the earlier part of the, the conversation, when we talk about there being tremendous opportunity, It's being a a time if there's so much economic change and there's so much much development and innovation that is happening throughout the society that like this is the kind of stuff we're talking about really innovative like who would have thought of that
1: like just Mm -hmm. seriously like two weeks ago i was thinking like man how is it going to be possible in my industry to get a job that pays better than this and that is you know has a decent schedule and like What am I, the only option I have is trading time for more like, you know, time for money. So I'm just gonna have to work longer hours. That's the only way I'm going to make any more money. It's like, no, you're thinking about this all wrong headed. Mm -hmm. That's the scarcity mindset.
0: You're a slave. That's the slave mindset. And if you're thinking, well to increase my income, I'm going to have to somehow learn some sort of new skill, but in order to do that, I'm going to have to work in the downtime and I've got kids and I've got other stuff I have to attend to and and I just don't have time to go try to take some class to learn Python or whatever. You don't have to do that to increase your You income. have to learn to code. You can you can drastically reduce the stress and heartache of everything that you're doing. Do something really easy and low overhead and just stack these together. But then I would say even beyond that, do this intentionally, do this with a plan, say, okay, these are the jobs I'm going to get in this pay bracket. I'm going to try to make this much money. This is how much I'm, I, this is my current bill, uh, uh, uh amount. This job here is going to pay for all the bills. This job here is going to go into savings. This job here is going to go into investments and then begin networking yourself with people who are thinking similarly and who are looking for opportunities. People who need to be invested in who are who are looking for investments or pooling your money with other people to invest in them. Or finding yeah. real estate and buying real estate. If you
1: had ten guys doing this, mm-hmm. you could easily have okay,
0: collectively a million could, dollars a year. In one year, yes. If you got if you got ten guys, each of let's see, let's do this math. If you got ten guys, each of them takes four jobs making 30 grand a year. That's 120 grand for each of them. So collectively you're making $1.2 million. You spend half of your, what you're taking home to cover all of your bills and everything. The other half is going, is being socked away for investment. Collectively the 10 of you would have a million dollars over a million dollars in two years. So if you wanted to, if you have 10 buddies or nine buddies, and you have some sort of project you want to get involved in together, some sort of investment. So if you want to start doing real estate, the Burr method thing I was talking about or anything else, build a little timeline for yourself, take take two years, work on this together, accumulate all that capital and go into a venture together. This is some one of the sorts of things that we're talking about with the Kingpill Discord. This is the kind of stuff we're we're building a community of people who think this way and operate this way and want to begin acting this way together. I'm not saying specifically job stacking, but thinking in these sorts of terms, like it's our responsibility to build our civilization. And we need to accumulate capital to do that. We need to start building that capital and it's going to start with accumulating assets to accumulate those assets. We need money. So we're going to come up with creative ways to generate money for ourselves, cross invest in each other, cooperatively invest in other things make ourselves a positive value as a community, make ourselves a positive value that people become aware. Hey, this community is a place where if you need someone to invest in you, or you need a job accomplished, or you need a you have some sort of contract work that you need done, go to the King pill discord, go find, they'll, they'll solve the problem for you. And creating a network of people where it's like, I may not know the person that that you need, but I know a person who knows the person who knows the person, and we're gonna get you, we're gonna put you in touch to make that happen. We're beginning to build a civilization. We're starting real, real simple. It's a fucking Discord server. <laughs> but we're putting our money where our mouth is and we're investing ourselves in starting to make this happen. And anybody who anyone else who wants to get involved with us, we'd be happy to have you. It sounds silly, 10 bucks a month is going to get you into the king discord for now can you pull up that uh that alex Hormozzi tweet yeah
1: and to answer kate j had a question is there a way we can make this work with the dual income housing situation um being able to work part-time while still getting to be a full-time parent if that makes any sense at all yeah i don't see why not there's no reason like okay instead of like having an eight-hour window where you're working remotely just have a four-hour window and stack two remote like two part-time positions. I don't see why you couldn't do that. Or whatever. In any case, uh... um, picking up where Matt had just left off there, he's looking for the tweet right now that I think really hits this home. I saw this the other day, and it really got me thinking, like... <sighs> I, like, okay... Like get I don't know. What do you What do you want? What do you want out of the future? I guess I suppose is the question. Like at some point, you're gonna have to take some risks, you know. And like, what do you have to lose? Especially if you're like young, if you're like a young guy or gal, you're in your twenties, early thirties, or whatever. What do you have to lose? Like I, I, I don't know. Take a risk. I'm uh, planning on, I'm planning on within a month quitting my job, and giving this a try. Why is that kind of stupid? Probably. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, like I said, even if I just break even, it's better for me because I don't have to leave. I don't have to leave my house. But there is potential for more upside than that. Even if it's an extra ten grand a year, that's more than I'm doing now. You know, or an extra 20 grand a year. That's more than I'm making now. A couple hundred bucks a week extra per paycheck would be basically life-changing insofar as like my stress levels and everything I have to manage. Like, hey, just having a couple extra hundred bucks a week so that, you know, because as of right now, it's like I'm breaking even. A couple extra hundred would go a long way. That's kind of the way I'm looking at this. So eh, we'll give it a try. I'll see how it goes. I'll report back to you. But in the next two months, I guess I'll give a report back because I... Yeah, why not? Why not do it? You know, or something. I I got to do something, man. From that
0: tweet. Uh,
1: no. Okay, I just, I just paraphrase it. It was something to the effect of like, you know, take a risk, quit the job, start the company, etc., etc. You're not gonna wish you had less crazy stories when you're 80 years old, and I think that's the right mindset to have. Like you could ju- I could just keep driving a truck and I could do that till I drop because retirement's not an option for someone my age. I could just do that. I'll never own anything. That's fine. It'll be enough to get my kids through school and out on their own and hopefully they, you know, have more success than I do. But I don't know if you like I don't have anything to lose. I don't have any assets. You know? One of the one of the plus sides of like being in a position where you're never going to own anything, as things stand right now, is you have nothing to lose. Rolling the dice. Because if worse comes to worse, and it doesn't pan out, I've got a CDL, I just pick up a trucking job. That's in huge demand. Just go pick up another job. It'll take me literally t- a day to get a job. Because it took me a day to get this last job. And I've got a good freaking job. So, okay, maybe I have a couple rough months or whatever, it doesn't pan out, and I have to go back to trucking. But maybe... Maybe I don't have to go back to trucking. Maybe I can actually start building capital and moving more towards doing things that I actually want to do with my life.
0: You know? If you want someone that's going to give you guys a a kick in the ass and point you in the right direction with a lot of this stuff, go follow Alex Hormozzi. I'm looking for that tweet, and I can't find it. He might have deleted it or something. I don't know. Well, he tweets like a million times a day, so it's I went back two weeks and couldn't find it, Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, here's a couple. I just scrolled across. Entrepreneurship is a test of will, not intellect. Um, uh, You always look like an overnight success because they just found out about you. How to stay poor. Assume that anyone who makes more money than you is unethical. Uh, More people are terrified to lose what they have than to not achieve what they're capable of when those fears flip, you become dangerous. And it takes more intelligence to learn from someone ahead of you than to attack them. These are all like, these like pithy, pithy little, you know, like they go and they belong in a calendar of, of motivational quotes or something like that. But they're true. Like this, this stuff is real and it's coming from a guy who's doing it. A guy who's legitimately done it. And, and I, I can say that because I don't, I'm not just aware of Alex Hermosi from his public so another guy who's done it. stories he's told. I know someone who knows Alex Hormozzi personally and can vouch that this is how he is. He's the exact same person publicly as he is privately. The guy's wildly successful, and he's and he's done it through just pure hustle. Made tons and tons of mistakes, lost millions of dollars, and had to figure out how to regenerate it again. His uh, his, his uh, t- handle on Twitter is Alex Hormozzi. It's H-O-R-M-O-Z-I from acquisition.com. We might do an episode on Alex Hormozzi sometime. We might even see if we get him on the show. That'd be amazing. Um, but we're at the two hour mark and we've overlapped with the two bit podcast who went, went live about a half hour ago. I've, I've got the raid set up already. So as soon as we finish up here, if you guys just stay on this page on YouTube, it'll take you automatically over there. Go bum rush two bit podcast. He's interviewing a good friend of the show. Jay burden. Yeah. go spam um, so go a bunch of him. like dicks in the comments <laughs> and tell him King Pilled sent you. You got anything else, Cooper?
1: Hmm.
0: Let's see. Hmm.
1: Let's see anything else in the chat. Kate J, maybe I can keep working for my company then, since I am remote now. Yeah, like you could keep working for what you're working for. Is it? Do you think it, like is it theoretically possible that you could find something? Simple, mindless, and if you could figure out a way, or if there was a way in which you could balance both at the same time and bring in an extra 15 twenty thousand a year, would you not do that? Working the same amount of hours, why not? Would twenty thousand dollars a year be like? Like, wouldn't that be life changing for you? It would be for me. Hmm. I don't know. These are just ideas. They're ideas right now. Don't take us too seriously,
0: but I'm gonna give it a shot, guys. Or just to... We're just a couple retards on the internet. Yeah, that's all I am. I have like the IQ of a fish. (laughs) I'll be at a smart fish, but... Got the dick of one, too. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thank you for uh, watching King Pilled. Uh, Do us a favor one last time. I'll make the call. Hit the like button. Hey, we got got more likes than viewers now. That means our viewership has fallen off. (laughs) That's what happens when you go live for two hours. Um, Thank you guys for watching. do all the stuff. Follow us on social media. You got all the links down there at the bottom. Subscribe to star.com slash KingPilled if you would like to join the KingPilled Discord. I'll be in there for a voice chat later tonight, and we'll be talking about this sort of thing and making other plans, and we would love to have you guys be a part of that with us. Uh, and now, go watch 2-Bit Podcast. Tell them that kingpilled sent you, and tell Jason he looks funny. See you guys.